it should be a goal to to have at least a certain amount of money on a subscription basis it doesn't have to be all of it it can be i don't know 20 30% enough to pay have the salaries in the company maybe enough to pay rent for a freelancer uh, just so you have a couple of stable contracts that you know you're probably not going to lose anytime soon and that they bring you enough money to keep the business afloat hello and welcome to episode 10 of webflow the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers because success often comes after learning from many failures i'm your host jack redley a failure connoisseur and today my guest is shiga fafar co-founder of flowout the unlimited webflow design and development subscription service today we'll be focusing on these failures focusing on the general market instead of a niche fixed price projects and being too attached to individual projects and clients this episode's a real juicy one so let's get into it embrace and learn from failure in episode 10 of webflow with giga for far it's great to have you here giga it's great to be here thank you so giga tell us a little bit about your journey before building flow out a little bit about your start and how you got into webflow so in the beginning right uh, i was a computer science student so i studied computer science at the university here in slovenia at the end of the, i think it was in year 3 that i got my first let's say part time job student job programming developing mostly front end uh, at an agency also here locally in slovenia where i then got an actual job a year later i was there for i think 2 or 3 years After which I left that job, started freelancing, had a couple of clients locally, internationally and so on, just mostly this front end. And then in February 2020, like one month, I think it was even less than one month before everyone went into lockdown, a couple of friends and I started our own company. At that point it was just, you know, a, we do everything sort of agency, which didn't really work out for us for for probably or the, all the reasons that we are going to discuss today right uh, and then last last spring we started flowout which is a specialized webflow agency which we productized as much as we could and at this point we figured you know we we found a really good product market fit or in this case maybe i should say productized service market fit uh, and it's been growing ever since so in the past especially in the past 6 or 7 months that we introduced these fixed price retainers and it's been a crazy ride. Yeah, and I heard you on the Talkflow YouTube channel, you said that you've been growing at about 10 to 20% per month, which That's is right. insane growth. It sounds like if we were to rewind a little bit back to your your first agency that you started with your with your friends, which didn't work out, that was just a regular agency model where you got a client, did the work, and then you said thanks, come back to us if you want any more help type of thing. What went wrong with it if you don't mind me asking? So, I mean, it's still basically the same people uh, and the same LLC, right? So, it's still still the same company but a different brand and a different product that we're offering. But yeah, generally what what we did there, so we went in this typical fashion of offering fixed priced projects, uh working on them, development, design, you know, it's hard to put a price on creativity. It's hard to put a price on a project that is maybe perfectly sculpted right if there's any features that you add additionally that weren't maybe in the original offer you have to reestimate everything uh, rebuild everything there's always the the cash flow problem that no one seems to solve with such a model you know you got to have a lot of capital in the back to to power you forward for all the months that maybe you're not gonna invoice anyone for enough money 
So that's always, that, that was kind of the biggest struggle. So there was a month that you have, when you have a lot of money on your account, but then two months later, you're basically broke. But you do have projects that are up for completion and then you're going to have some cash again and so on. So this is kind of the model that we didn't want to do anymore because it was both, it was super stressful and it wasn't really scalable at all. So at that point, we we started thinking what we can do. Uh, I remember seeing DesignJoy and maybe some other competitive sites. Luca, Luca was the one first mentioning that. And we basically went on with trying to do the same thing, but for Webflow. So we said, okay, let's offer unlimited retainers. Let's have a fixed price offer. Let's tell everyone totally openly and transparently what they're going to get and how much it's going to cost. And then let's experiment with the price. You know, if we see that people sign up for this price, let's maybe raise it up a bit and so on. And ever since February, when we introduced this business model, we've been growing basically two digits month to month, uh, every single month. So tell me about failure number one, focusing on the general market instead of a niche. Yeah, so this was basically our biggest mistake, I think, because we when, when someone came to us and said, hey, I need this done. Can you do it in, I don't know, this technology stack, like let's say Golang for backend, maybe PostgreSQL as database and I don't know, ReactJS for frontend, right? And maybe we didn't have one of these people with one of these knowledges uh, in-house. So it was hard for us to say yes to such a project because we didn't have the skill to to do it, right? And it, But it was also hard for us to say no because we kind of needed the project. And this went on and on and on because we didn't even specialize in any sense. So we didn't didn't search for specific niches of customers, be it, I don't know, SaaS startups or be it, I don't know, gro- grocery sellers, whatever. Uh, it can be anything basically. So we really went wide in the beginning, uh, which I think was, it was a failure, but it was maybe a mistake because we did learn a lot from it. And many of the things that we do now, eventually even specializing in specific market niches that we target for our clients as our clients and also targeting a specific technology like Webflow, right? Uh, Both are very specific niches for this market. Uh, And this is kind of how how we we came to it. Instead of branching that that same model all over and over again and seeing it doesn't work, not the first time, not the second second time, not even the 10th time. At that point, we kind of decided to switch it over and try to go really focused into something. And a lot of the people that are watching now might not necessarily have team. I mean, you've got a team of 15 people, don't you, currently? That's right, yeah, 15 full-time people. Okay, so I mean, the scale and and the amount of uh, learning that you've got is probably on another level. If someone was starting out in Webflow, they might be in their first two or three years doing Webflow projects. Do you think that they should niche in a particular category or you talked about niching to just offering Webflow as the platform that you build on. How do you think someone that might be a freelancer should approach niching if they should at all? Uh, first of all, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good thing to niche also for the market that you're targeting. It doesn't have to be SaaS startups. It can be anything really. Uh, mm-hmm. Just try to focus on that one niche and see if that one works then you can branch out to the second one, the third one, after you contact everyone in the first one, for example, right? Uh, but it's good to have a focus even in this space because once once you see that, for example, I don't know, grocery stores use Webflow a lot, which means that they're probably going to need your service. And at that point, you can start offering them your service and you have a basically a, a market that buys it, right? 
Uh, it doesn't have to be Webflow. It can be Shopify. It can be anything really. Uh, but Webflow is very convenient because it's easier to estimate than maybe custom development is. There's less things to go wrong, less things to underestimate and less things to overestimate at the same time. So it's easier to know how much it's going to cost. But at that point, you know, once once you get enough work, you got to just go through it, maybe hire some people and so on and, and see how it goes. But definitely, yeah. I'd say it's it's important to have a specific tech stack, be it Webflow or anything else, and also a very specific niche that you're targeting. It doesn't have to be one niche. It can be one after another, but just to test niche by niche which one actually needs your service. And would you recommend saying, I'm a Webflow developer, and then would you would you advise changing kind of your whole everything, you know, your brand identity, your website, your copy, each time you iterate on that niche? Because sometimes people might go head over biscuit for a niche. They might be like, I design Webflow websites for builders or whatever. And it's like, oh shit, builders don't want a Webflow website. So now I've got to change everything. <laughs> Do you think explore the niche 110% and change everything before iterating? So copy-wise, I think we have, a, we have a very general website. So once you get to our websites, you won't see it's very niche right? So except for the logos and the testimonials that are mostly from, let's say, SaaS companies, SaaS startups in the US, there's no other indicators, right? We did try a Web3 landing page uh, to try to target Web3 companies. We didn't have any success with that yet, but we didn't really push that hard also. Uh, it's more of an SEO thing. Uh, but generally, it's it's more of, you know, try, try contacting these people and telling you, hey, we are a Webflow agency. We noticed your website is built for Webflow. Um, do you need some help? You know, here's our website and so on. Your, your copy doesn't have to be targeted at that niche necessarily. But it is good to have like some examples from the niche that you're targeting. So if you, for example, are targeting, like I said, Web3 companies, it's good to have maybe a couple of Web3 websites in your portfolio uh, to gain more cred. It's just because in the same niche, usually the content and requirements are very similar. Uh, there's not that much difference in variation as you, as one might think. Yeah, that's a really good point that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that you can be targeting a specific niche of people through your design and examples of projects rather than being like, I am a Webflow developer strictly for dentists or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, your, your design and how you approach the marketplace might tell other people what your niche is and attract those people accordingly. So I completely agree with that as well. I think I've made the mistake of changing everything to go down one niche which was fitness instructors, which was the dumbest choice of niche. Um, <laughs> changed my whole website, changed my LinkedIn, changed my Twitter. Uh, and then I was like, this is the stupidest thing because they don't need custom websites. Anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. I think a good uh, indicator of a good niche is that the companies are either well-funded or that there's generally a lot of money in that market. You know, like for example, what, when I mentioned Web3 earlier. We decided to build a Web3 landing page just because there's a lot of capital within Web3, right? Uh, it can be basically anything. It can be real estate, for example. There's a lot of money in real estate, but these companies are usually the ones that can afford services like this, right? Because especially if you want to offer more premium services, more white label, I mean, more, 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 uh, more white glove services, it makes more sense to offer it to niches, uh, to markets that are a bit richer than others. Uh, like, you know, a, a fitness a fitness trainer, a gym trainer might not be as wealthy to pay you 
$5,000 per month, for example, for a website, while a huge real estate startup that has $50 million in Series A or Series B funding, they do have the money and it's just a small expense for them. So it's it's nice to put it also in a perspective to see how, how your pricing fits within the, the lifestyle of the business that you're targeting. Yeah, exactly. And and also how important their website is in the grand scheme of their business success or yeah. not as well. Because um, I think that's the other thing, like making sure that your client is prepared to spend money on a custom website, but also that you can get results from that client project in order to generate um you know referrals and through word of mouth marketing you know if you generate a lot of money for your client they're going to be shouting from the rooftops for you so i think that's another thing to think about exactly tell me about failure number two fixed price projects oh yeah this is this is the fun one (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, so most agencies still do this. Uh, I, I noticed that there, there's a big problem with fixed price projects. It's that you usually charge 50% upfront and 50% at the end, or based on some milestones. Like, I don't know, once the design is completed, you charge one part. Then once the development begins, you charge another part and so on. Uh, but we never really found this to work just because, you know, it, it's in between. So some projects might take months before being completed. And often not because of you as a designer or developer, often because the client doesn't send you the content, for example. This is very something that ha- happens always, even with retainers, it happens always. And you can't even, you know, w- once the content comes, there are maybe changes, there are some additional costs that happen and so on. And before you know it, you know, six months passed since you issued your last invoice to that company. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, in six months, you made, let's say, I don't know, for example, if you have some employees, that's not nearly enough to keep the company afloat, right? So with retainers, you solve this issue because you charge, you have cash flow month by month. And the longer a project takes, the the more subscriptions your client's going to pay, basically. Even the hourly packages and the retainers, of course, that you can buy on Flowout, both are prepaid options. So when you subscribe to a retainer, you pay today for the next 30 days. With the hourly packages, you can buy 50 hours today and then use them up. So it's always prepaid. We get cash up front uh, and then the client can basically have access to our services. And it's not vice versa, it's not vice versa right? Because with fixed price projects, it first of all, it's really impossible to accurately estimate everything. Things just happen, you know, things change. There are always some features, some details that no one ever thinks about, not you or the client. And it's totally normal uh, no one no one thinks of everything obviously but with retainers you know we we solve this issue completely okay so do you think that people that are offering fixed price projects should think about offering some kind of subscription or retainer based model do you think most people are absolute idiots right now giga and you're just like (laughs) everyone should be doing what i'm doing it has completely changed my life because there does seem to be a huge upward trend of people being like hey brett from design joy is doing it he's making shitloads of money i'm gonna move this direction but is that right for everyone i mean it depends you know if you're if you're the client uh, i'm sure having an agency that quotes you a fixed price is very good we actually just outsourced one of our internal tools that we're building. We outsourced this to an agency who gave us an estimate. It's a fixed price project. And, you know, in this case, 
I love it. I love it because I know I'm not going to overpay anything. I know the fixed price of it, everything else. But as a business, you know, even for them, I would say switch to retainers or some other more decent cash flow model. Like, I don't know, build, build the hours at the end of every month or something like that, just so you stabilize the cash flow. And even the growth growth in this case is way more measurable and it's way more stable because we, for example, we know how much money we're going to make in the next month, at least approximately, even if 30% of our clients churn, we still know what is kind of the, the worst case scenario. I mean, okay, the worst case scenario is always zero, but the realistic worst case scenario, right? And it's not going to be zero probably. So it's, it's easier, easier to manage also your employment, uh, your employees, how many you have, how many you can hire, how many you must fire or whatever happens this way, because just because you know how much money you have left at the end of each, each month, at least how much money it can be more. It can be a little bit less, but generally, you know what the minimum is. Fixed price projects are not stupid in case. In, there are many cases where clients are so big that they are prepared to pay a lot of money for a project. Uh, in that case, I think it makes perfect sense. We often actually would make more money on certain projects if we would just quote a project outright instead of working as a retainer. But those are in the minority for sure. So if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that if you're an agency owner where you've got employees, cash flow is really, really important that you make enough to at least pay your employees. You would argue that an agency should think more, you know, think about the subscription model, maybe more so than just a freelancer who maybe is taking the odd project here and there, maybe has a good month, maybe has a bad month, but they're not as drastically relying on cash flow being good. I think in both cases, it should be, a goal to to have at least a certain amount of money on a subscription basis. It doesn't have to be all of it. It can be, I don't know, 20, 30% enough to pay, have the salaries in a company, maybe enough to pay rent for a freelancer. Uh, just so you have a couple of stable contracts that you know you're probably not going to lose anytime soon and that they bring you enough money to keep the business afloat. Uh, everything else is basically just a good good extra. That's that's kind of why we're still offering the hourly packages. They percentage-wise, I think they are way below retainers. We make most of our money with retainers, but there is still like twenty or thirty percent additional revenue that we make by selling hourly packages, uh, which at the end of the day is a lot of money uh, that would otherwise be left at the t- on the table. It still makes sense for us to do it because it's prepaid and every single hour is billable. But if if there's you know if, if there is a an offer in between like typically agencies put out an estimate put out like a I don't know tax packs and so on they try to specify everything that's going to go on in those cases I think it's pretty hard to be as accurate as if you charge either by effective hours or a retainer and for freelancers that you know might be starting out in Webflow obviously you've gone down the agency route. And there might be freelancers that are like, you know what, I actually prefer um, working for myself, or maybe I only want to hire other contractors, depending on if there's a big project or not. Talk to me about why you initially seem to have focused on agency, like setting up an agency rather than um, maybe just being like a really successful solo freelancer. So there's the, this is kind of the problem I also think Brad is facing with DesignJoy because when you're alone, you know, you, you can't sell your business as easily. Uh, I'm not sure many people are prepared to pay as much for a freelancing business, if anything at all, 
than they are when buying a company. So when you're building an agency, at some point you try to remove yourself completely from everything operational. Maybe you stay in sales a bit, you know, maybe you search for funding, administration, and so on. But generally you try to remove yourself from the operational part of the business. And the business itself can be sold. You can exit it. You can work in it. You can have a job. Basically, you, you provide a bit more value to more people uh, and to the business itself than if you are a freelancer. So as a freelancer, you can scale indefinitely. You can't scale with hiring new people because then you're not a freelancer anymore, basically. So in, in this case, if it were just us three, right, we could make a decent amount of money. We could have each, each could have like five figure monthly salary for sure, but we wouldn't have an asset that would be easily sellable like it is now, for example. And at some point, you know, when you make like two or $3 million in, in annual recurring revenue, that's a business that's worth a couple of million. Uh, and it's hard to earn a couple of million just by being a freelancer. It takes, it would, it would take a lot more time really. And it will not be, it, it won't be ever sellable. So you can just basically close your business down once you earn enough money and that's, that's it. So one thing, one thing is basically building your personal brand and the other one is building an asset, like a totally detached asset, which is kind of what building any company is, even, even an agency. Tell me about failure number three, being too attached to individual projects and clients. Oh yeah. So until recently I did most of the project management with our company i think until july actually first uh, of july is when we hired our first pm and you know you know when you when you are the founder and also the project manager you kind of get attached to every single client because you kind of sold everything to them you you brought them in right and now you are working with them basically on a daily basis and you really try hard to put out your best image to never never fail at anything to always deliver, always over deliver and so on, which honestly isn't really healthy. It, it can burn you out and it's hard to hand it over to a new project manager or to someone else at some point. Uh, and I found this to be actually a bit more challenging than I, than I first uh, expected. But at some point, you know, I, I just said, okay, screw this. I'm just going to remove myself as much as possible. You know, if, if there's a sales issue or if there's something to upsell, sure, uh, Luca and I can jump jump in. But otherwise, everything operations-wise, let's hand it over to someone else because it will be way healthier for both the company and for the client's success at the end of the story. Just because was, as, as a founder, you really do get attached to certain, to certain projects, not, not really certain ones, actually to all of them because all are equally important. And with all you see, okay, if I screw this one up uh, and if they maybe churn, it's going to be my fault, you know, and it's, it's also, it's not just my business. There's three of us and so on. And, and yeah, it, it, it's a bit emotional at some times. How did you go about detaching your emotions from these client projects? So honestly, at some point we had so many clients that it was kind of impossible to be attached. You, you can only be attached to this many people, I think. And, and at some point, you know, you just say it's, it doesn't work this way anymore and try to try to hand it over to someone else. Uh, and Gregor, who's our new PM, he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, I really, I really like what he's doing. You know, you got to trust someone also to, to be able to take care of your clients, to not lose them and so on. Uh, and since this is kind of our first product manager that we were, that we were hiring, it did take, honestly, it did take some time to, to detach uh, from, from operations. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it worked out. So I think it's, everything's good. I hear a lot of agency owners say that, 
you know, making their first hires is one of the hardest things that they do <laughs> when they're doing an agency, just because you have pour, poured so much love into this thing that you're building and you're like, yeah. you know, trusting someone else who maybe you've never even met before and you've just interviewed them and they, you seem to like them and you're like, okay, we're going to give you a contract. Like, I'm going to trust you. Like, how did you go about making your first hire? And how did you pass over that trust? So there are a couple of members, uh, wonderful people who have been with us since basically day one. Um, So we've been working, for example, with Alisa since we started the company in 2020. Uh, She's with us still. Um, She does a great job. So I think, I think, and she's not the only one. So even Luca and Sergey and I, who are the founders, we know each other for, I don't know, since high school, literally. So it, it's been also a while. So first, I think first what we did is we tried to find people that we trust or that people that we know trust uh, and try to go this way because everyone we, we employ, uh, they are basically here uh, local um, in Slovenia, except for three members who are not really working with Flowout. They are building our... SaaS products like Lingwana, uh, they are based in Kosovo, uh, and there are three of them also full time full time contracts. Uh, but generally, generally, it did take a lot of trust, and it was a bit of an of an issue maybe to find certain people. Uh, I think for the project management role, it was the first time that we put out like a LinkedIn ad for a job post, right? So everyone else that we hired was literally recommended somewhere or we found them via some mutual connection on LinkedIn or something like that. But for the project manager role, we did put out an ad. But at the end of the day, we still uh, hired someone that we knew someone who worked with them in the past who said, yeah, they're good. So it's, you know, it, it's a small country here. So it's maybe a bit easier to to find people you know, or at least you know someone who knows them. It's a, it's a tough thing to do, especially if it's not your your core field. So I'm, I'm not a project manager, for example, right? I don't think I'm bad at it, at it, but I'm sure there are people that are better than I am. So it was easy for me to hire new developers, for example, but it was a bit harder to search for new project managers, for sure. And when was the moment when you were like, okay, we need to hire a project manager? Was there just too much work and just too many clients to handle? Yeah, there was that. And also at some point in the future, um, it does make sense for us as founders to be operationally involved in the company. We really try to detach ourselves from that from that area. At the end of the day, you know, maybe in two years or three years, we might exit the company, and maybe we we just don't wanna we wanna add value somewhere else right now, uh, like Linguana, for example, that we're building, which is a SaaS product, right? And there's also th- these things also take focus and they take time, and this way you can't really be involved in everything. Yeah. And did you did you decide, you know, I don't want to be part of the operations in order to focus more on Linguana and other things you're building? Can you tell us a little bit more about Linguana and, and what else you're building as well? Yeah, I mean next to that also more focused on sales and marketing and so on. So it's not just it's not just that, but before it was really hard to even focus on sales as much as we can do now. Because we, uh, I had to be, for example, more involved in uh, the company. But yeah, Ling- Linguana. Linguana is a software as a service product. So it's a SaaS product for Webflow. It's kind of like a Webflow extension for multi-language. So it's 
it's like Weglot. It's very similar to Weglot uh, in the sense of what it offers, but it's uh, quite a bit more complex uh, in the way it works and the what and what it actually actually does. And cheaper than Weglot, maybe. It is cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. Yes, <laughs> everyone can celebrate from their computer screens. Okay, great. This is good. To yeah, hear. it's a lot cheaper. So let's get no into the quickfire community questions. We have got a few different things that have been sent. First of all, how did you land your first gigs? Uh, okay. It was literally uh, the, the first gigs were just people we knew. So it was basically live connections from the past. That was the first, like when we started the agency. Uh, but when we started Flowout, our first gigs, I believe, were from several facebook groups and reddit so we posted like hey we launched flowout it's a productized service we got like two or three clients from that uh from the productized community and from the webflow global uh facebook groups i saw peter the other day talk about writing a lot of content can you tell us a little bit about the content strategy behind your webflow agency and how that's working so we only started this i think a couple of months ago for real so we did have a couple of blog posts but that was nothing nothing serious until we decided earlier this year to start working on seo working on content marketing social media and so on this is when peter joined uh, the picture and yeah ever since i think in the past few months uh, we've done also a lot of seo work with peter and also another luca who is uh, a contractor of ours that does our seo work and we for example for the keyword webflow agency pricing i think we are now number three in the u.s uh, we also have an advertising agency and a cold outreach agency, both of which basically gives us a constant inflow of leads. So, so we were we were looking for a stable funnel of leads for quite a while. And then we tested out a couple of things very vaguely, like with minimum effort. And we saw what kind of worked and decided to focus on those three channels, basically. Um, so with mostly on SEO, on advertising uh, and cold outreach. So those are kind of the channels that we we are now working on mostly. Wow, okay, I didn't realize that. So you, you're paying different agencies to specialize, that specialize in each of those different things to help you. So yeah, yeah, okay. That's right. And Peter is Peter is working, uh, is writing the, the content and doing all the social media and basically coordinating everything. So it's all working all seamlessly together. Peter definitely deserves a shout out. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what is the best bit of advice you have for young web flowers as someone that's as experienced as you are? Well, my first tip for anyone that doesn't know HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is to learn those three things. So once you are able to build a website from scratch, you can build the most amazing things in Webflow. So I think first step is definitely to have at least some basic understanding of development to stand out from the crowd basically because 90 percent of people in the community are designers who don't know any code basically but it's necessary to know some code to offer clients maybe some more complex tasks and this way you can prevent them from churning this is definitely the first thing and then the second one would be to stabilize cash flow with having at least a couple of retainers either as an agency or as an individual it doesn't have to be big retainers it can be like five hours per month for maintenance for 500 bucks, something like that. Just so the cash flow is a bit more stable than it usually is. 
Really good advice there. And where is Flowout going? What's the vision for Flowout? So in the near future, we're launching a couple of interesting tools, uh, including Lingwana, which is being launched in Q4. So we are now, we are stabilizing Flowout as a productized service. So as an agency uh, to kind of grow steadily like it does now, hire maybe a couple of new people and at some point maybe even stop stop accepting new clients uh, if necessary uh, and use the money we make with Flowout to build products like Webflow extensions like Linguana and also a couple of others that we have in the pipeline, which I am not quite allowed to talk about yet. Ooh, okay. But very, very soon. They, they are smaller products. They aren't as big as, as Linguana is, but I think they are built for the community. They are some things that are missing from Webflow as a core or maybe even some core features that aren't as good as they could be or should be. And we're just trying to work on that. So if I'm hearing you right, it's moving less from, so you're focusing less on client work because you've already stabilized that your business is still operating and you're going to be, you know, flow out is still doing a lot of that, but you want to focus more on the productized, um, like creating products for people that use Webflow not necessarily clients is that right that's right i mean mostly mostly because i i personally figure and also luca and sergey probably agree the best business is the one that offers both services and products and this this is kind of the case that we want to want to be here Uh, we're not trying to just build a service but also we're trying to build products which may maybe are harder to gain some actual traction in maybe the revenue numbers are lower but also the cost is lower as a consequence of being a product of not offering a service. Both branches are good to have. Okay, then that makes sense. So you think that best businesses offer both services and products. Is that because I guess the services creates an audience that become aware of the products or how are you, why do, why do you think that the best uh, companies have both services and products? Yeah. I mean, like you said, and also vice versa. So products also create an audience for services. So I guess it's just a win-win kind of a, they both. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. We're we're kind of building an ecosystem in some sense. Great. Um, This might be linked to the previous question actually, but what project are you currently working on? That's really exciting you. So the most exciting one is definitely Linguana. I mean, it's, it's, it's very complex. It's very challenging. Uh, It's going to be, gorgeous to look at uh, and it's going to function as it should so it's ha- it has way more important features that maybe Weglot even doesn't offer and can i ask specifically in q4 when that might or, or do you is it is it yet to be decided when that's going to be released we don't have a certain date yet uh, the first beta is coming out to our lifetime purchasers uh, late september but in Q4, we're planning either late November or early December to launch. So we're kind of hoping to launch before Christmas for sure, uh, the live version. Ooh, a Christmas gift for all you Webflowers. <laughs> that will be really exciting. And what current client project is Flowout working on that you're that you're really looking forward to see together? Oh, I mean, we, we have a lot of amazing clients uh, as companies, as websites uh, that they have, and also as people. So I think... I think uh, Everyone who we're working with is just amazing. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, there are some clients that you have a better fit with personally or some that you don't. Uh, but we did have, a, we, we have a couple of clients that have been with us from like 
day one almost last year. There are a couple that are new in the past, let's say six months, but I don't see uh, us going apart anytime soon. So we work with companies like Sandlane, for example, like Jasper AI, uh, joinreal.com, which is also a post IPO company. You know, we, we have awning.com, which are mostly, almost all of them are well-funded startups, uh, US-based startups. Uh, and I think we're all really proud to be working with people like that and with companies like that. That's the amazing thing about the retainer-based model, isn't it? That you can actually see them progress because you're helping their business grow and develop in a way that most freelancers probably, you know, don't have the knowledge of. They might just do the website and then, you know, hopefully that business does well. Whereas, you know, you can actually grow with them as much as, uh, you know, help them on their journey, which is really, really cool. For um, this question, I always ask uh, people that I interview because, Normally, the people that I interview are very, very busy people. How do you balance your time? Talk to us about that. Uh, I, I'm not really good at that. <laughs> it's not my forte. So I don't think I'm a, a credible source for any advice <laughs> on this field. <laughs> okay, so, I mean... Just going to be honest with you, you know. <laughs> you, just, you just work a lot. Is that is that just the yeah. truth yeah, I mean that's the truth. You know, when you when you grow like ten, twenty percent every month, uh, you also got to hire, let's say, on average one or two people per month. Um, you got to work. You got to sell new new stuff. You got to sell to new clients. Uh, you're also working on a couple of projects, a couple of products in between. You know, it it, it gets busy. I'm not gonna lie about it. But I mean, okay how do you manage your mental health? Because surely, you know, if people are asking you for stuff and you're trying to run here and then take this call and then do this project, do you not need some Giga time? <laughs> At some point I noticed, you know, if sometimes uh, when someone sends you a Slack message and if you don't reply within an hour or two, they're just going to find a solution themselves. So I think uh, you just got to, at some point you got to stop replying to people and just wait for them to figure it out. Uh, and it usually works. <laughs> A really good tip for any busy web flowers watching just uh just don't reply straight away because then you set the tone that you're not going to reply straight away and if exactly. it's that serious then they'll probably work it out because they've got this thing called google what is the top skill you feel is undervalued for web flowers uh development javascript i mean like real javascript okay. i think the, be- the, the best web flow developers are x JavaScript framework developers, either like React.js or or I don't know Vue.js or something like that. I think you talked about it in this in the uh, Talkflow interview that I watched in preparation for this. Finding Webflow developers that know all of that and not necessarily your typical Webflow developer, as you said, a lot of people are designers that want to make their designs a reality, and that's why they learn Webflow. Not so much. Um, you know, developers that can already do HTML, CSS, JavaScript. So how did you go about finding people to hire for your agency that knew all of those skills um, and you could pay them competitively enough to to hire them? So we usually hire front-end developers, uh, as in software engineers, basically front-end engineers. Uh, and designers separately, so we don't we don't consider them being the same type of people. So designers do design and developers develop it. 
I mean, sure, some some of our designers can maybe do certain stuff in, in Webflow, but they can't integrate a third-party API, which an experienced developer can, right? So, the, the way I look at it is, if you can if you can build a custom WordPress theme from scratch, just using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and you can also be an amazing Webflow developer. Uh, so I think this is kind of the, the minimum requirements necessary here. You don't have to have a degree in computer science or anything. You just got to have a bit of experience in, in actual development from scratch to be a good developer developer. Um, a designer little... can build a site. So a designer can build a Webflow site easily. But with our clients, which are usually SaaS companies, right? They have their own APIs and want to display some data on the front end, for example, or stuff like that, or integrate a part of their app in, in some spot or have some super hardcore tracking and whatever. In those cases, you do need some engineering knowledge. It's not something that a, that a designer can tackle mostly. So you hire either developer or designer. That's that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's fascinating. Do you think that most freelancers should either focus on design or or development because I feel like a lot of people are kind of meh at both. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like quite a lot of people. I would consider myself that just to be clear for anyone that's watching is like, Jack, you're not even anything. Um, so <laughs> do you think that people should focus? Cause actually another agency owner gave me some advice and said, Jack, I think you should be a designer. I don't think you should do the actual dev of projects, which I thought was really interesting. What is your advice there? I also think that it's it's good to focus. Even as a freelancer, it's easier to sell yourself as a certain, as a person that's skilled in a certain skill, like design or development or DevOps or system administration or whatever it is, than it is to sell yourself as I do everything. You know, because if you say I do everything, everyone's gonna think you know you can't do everything. There's you're either mediocre at everything or you're really bad at something and good at something else. Uh, so I think it makes sense also as, as an individual, as a personal brand, as a freelancer, it makes sense to to kind of niche out uh, and what you do. If you're more of a creative person, I think being a designer is definitely a good thing uh, because the the salaries currently and the amount, the amount of money people pay for good design is super high. And it's, you know, to, to be a designer, you got to be creative. Not everyone's creative. Not everyone, I think, can be a good designer. Um, but I think everyone, or at least most people, can be decent enough developers or engineers. Because at the end of the day, it's just it's just math, you know. Um, well, if you said, I mean, I'm no mathematician, so when you just say it's just math, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, set seven maths over here. This is the final community question. What is the favorite tool that you are currently using? My favorite tool? Hmm. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Slack. So I think the app that I use the most by far is Slack on my desktop and on my phone. So that's definitely the number one thing. Before I ask you your final question, Giga, where can people find you if they want to ask you anything about the, anything that you've talked about today? On Twitter. So definitely Twitter, LinkedIn, or just send me an email. Uh, all of those three options are perfect. Awesome. And in the description below, guys, you've got his Twitter handled in there. So this last question is a very difficult one, Giga. Are you ready? Shoot. He's a confident man. <laughs> what is your next failure going to be? 
Uh, Ho- hopefully not Lingwana. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it won't. Uh, honestly, the, the, the thing I'm most afraid of at this point to, to fail at is maybe hiring the wrong person. It's a small company, you know, there's 15 of us, basically, you know, it's every person that comes in uh, gets noticed. People talk, you know, and if there's someone that maybe might not fit in the culture, uh, doesn't like our way of work, our way of communication, it could be bad also for the other 15 people um, just because of the 16th one or the 17th one or the 18th one and so on. This is kind of kind of my biggest fear. It's been for a while. Actually, every time we hire someone, my biggest fear is that they won't fit in. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of Webflow with Giga Fafar. The part of this interview that really stuck out to me was when Giga talked about cash flow. I think a lot of Webflow freelancers get into freelancing because they want freedom to work on projects they want to work on at a time that suits them. The problem is that in reality, you need to be good at the business side of freelancing to have that freedom, a constant stream of client work with decent budgets. And frankly, most freelancers don't have that, and certainly not at the start. They have a feast or famine mode with good months and bad months. Having a couple of retainer clients as a freelancer makes so much sense to ensure that your costs are covered even in the slow months, as Ziga mentions. Getting consistent cash flow is what I need to focus on too. So Giga gave me the kick to reach out to companies after this episode to offer a retainer rate for my Webflow services. I hope you do too. If you want inspiration, business advice, and Webflow jobs direct to your inbox, sign up for the Webflow Roundup at webflow.com. This is a weekly newsletter designed for you to take your Webflow freelancing to the next level. So I hope it helps. Next week, I'll be interviewing Kayla Williams, founder of B2B Studio. So join us at 4pm BST on the 15th of September to talk about some epic failures and learn from Kayla's career so far. Until next week, web flailers.